If you'll look with me at the 15th chapter of Luke, for those of you that may not have been here last Sunday, starting a series on the parables, and we said the parables is simply a heavenly story with an earthly uh, significance or meaning. And so as Jesus taught in parables, these stories were his uh, chalkboard, his overhead projector that stayed in our heads. These were things that we remember to this day. And last week we talked about the lost coin and the lost sheep. And tonight we want to talk about one of the two most well-known parables in the Bible. The other one, I would think, would be the Good Samaritan. And so uh, tonight is, a, is the first of a two-part sermon on uh, the prodigal son. So look with me at Luke 15. I'll, can, I'll pick it up at verse 11. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the, his field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Let's pray. Our most gracious Father, we just praise you for who you are and we thank you so much for this time together, this opportunity to be here tonight. Lord, I just pray that you'll help us to see ourselves in these parables that you'll help us to see our world in these parables, Lord Jesus, and why you came into this world to redeem a sinful man. Father, thank you. Be with us now. Open our hearts and minds to your truth, Lord Jesus, and grant that we would have the courage to act on it. Thank you again, Father, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, we established last week in the parable of the lost coin that the lost coin was lost because of carelessness. The sheep, because of heedlessness, basically. But now this is different. This lost son, this prodigal son who strayed out was lost because of his own willfulness to stray. He decided he wanted to do it. This is an interesting story simply because Jesus told it to the Pharisees who were complaining about him having anything to do with sinners. 
So here we are with this parable. It opens by simply saying there was a man who had two sons. Deuteronomy 21.17 says that according to, to the law, uh, when a father dies, his estate is divided one-third to the youngest son, two-thirds to the oldest. So this was the way the estate was divided. The oldest son obviously had the bulk of the estate. It is not entirely unusual or even rare that a father would divide his estate up prior to his own death. What is unusual is that this son would come to the father and request that he would get his portion before the father had decided or determined to do something in that nature. So it was the pride and the arrogance of this boy that said, I want what I want when I want it. And this is what I want. And so he asked the father to give him his portion of, of the estate and allow him to leave. That word prodigal literally means wasteful. One other definition of a, a prodigal in the dictionary said that he is recklessly wasteful or extravagant. Well, we see where this happened and the father agreed to do just this. Not long after he received his one-third of this estate, the Bible continues by saying, the younger son got together all that he had and set off for a distant country. I don't know if you've ever been to a distant country or not, a far country as King James Version would say. You can be in a pew of a church and be in a distant country. You really can. It is where uh, an individual decides that I've had all that I need. I want to do it my way. And we may not hit the highway, but our hearts stray away from the Lord. We decide this is a good time that I'm going to leave the Father and take it all with me and live it up the way that I want to live. I want to be an independent person. Now, those of us guys, especially us men, hit about age 18, and that's, boy, we get to, you know, we got that adrenaline flowing. We want to leave. We say, Dad, that's it. I'm out of here. Graduated from high school. I'm out of here. And I'm going to live it up high in every way that I possibly can because I'm away from the Father. I'm going to do it my way. And he says that he went off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Uh, one translation would say he lived it up every way he could, every day he could. You know? The sad thing about it is what happens in Las Vegas doesn't stay there. That's the reality. It follows you everywhere you go. And so he was self-indulgent, self-willed, self-centered, he was in this far country, which was which the far country represented the realm of rebellion. And so in our own rebellious hearts, we look at the Father, the Heavenly Father in this case, because He's the one that this Father represents. And he, we get into that self-indulgent attitude and that we enter into that realm of rebellion. Sometimes it's not just running away. More times than not, it's just slipping away casually. We talk about that slippery slope that, that leads to different things. That's that slippery slope that leads to that realm of rebellion. And we begin saying, well, you know, I, I'm not enjoying Bible study like I once did. So I'm not doing my devotionals anymore 
like I once did. I'm not reading the Bible with as much interest or excitement or enthusiasm as I once did. I'd, and then it leads to other things. I don't enjoy fellowship with other Christians like I once did. I don't enjoy fellowship with the church. I don't even enjoy worship anymore. I mean, after all, the pastor doesn't feed me. I'm here to be fed. And I don't get fed, so therefore I'm not coming anymore. How many times over the years, over the last four and a half decades, have I heard that statement? Well, you know, I just wasn't getting fed. So I'm not coming anymore. Where are you going? I'm not going anywhere. Why aren't you going anywhere? I'm just not getting fed. Well, you're not going to get fed if you don't go to the table. You know? And so it is sometimes this far country that we are in, that realm of rebellion becomes a, just a little bit of inching away day after day after day. And before long, we're not talking about the Lord. We're not experiencing the Lord. We're not enjoying the Lord's presence. We're not in the Lord's at all, we think. We have gone ahead and figured we've done it our own way. We figured with our own ability, our own capabilities, our own characteristics, our own uh, lifestyle, we have earned our little spot in this society and we've done it our own way. As Frank Sinatra saying, I did it my way. Well, all contraire, I would say. So here he goes. He has squandered his wealth in wild living. And boy, I tell you, you have a lot of people that you think are friends when you've got money and you're throwing it around liberally. You think you have people that attach themselves to you that you, you think are friends until the money's gone. The resources are no longer there. And therefore, your phone stops ringing. And there he was. After he had spent everything, of all the timing, there was a severe famine in the country. And when that famine hit, because he had spent and squandered everything that he had, there he was in need. Who's going to help him? Those so-called friends aren't any longer around. The whole country's in a depression, in a state of, of famine. And so here he is as a Jewish kid that is trying to figure out, what am I going to do with my life? And then he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. Now here's the thing. <clears throat> There are three levels of servants in that day. This particular level of servant is the lowest of the three because he becomes a day servant, a day slave. And so these day slaves could be terminated any time and could be kicked out on the street any time that there wasn't work to be done. Those of you that have ever hired on as a day laborer know exactly what he's talking about. He was a day slave. So he went out and hired himself to somebody and he was so low that he, it said he sent him to the fields to feed pigs. Now this, the, the most reprehensible thing for a Jew to do is to come into contact with pigs, much less feed them, come in contact with them and, and literally exist for them. And the Bible says, there he was, trying to feed pigs. A man's worst difficulties, Thomas Huxley said, begin when he is able to do just what he likes. And then 
the famine hits. Then we hit rock bottom. Now, rock bottom for everybody is different. For this particular lad, rock bottom was feeding pigs. And not just feeding them, but the Bible goes on. It says, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. When you wallow with the pigs, when you get a pig's appetite, when you start seeing life through the perspective of a pig, you know, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. It's okay if you're a pig. It came to me some years ago when I was on a bunk in an army barracks and that my bunkmate underneath me began going to church. And I came to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior at the age of eight. I knew it, but I had become a prodigal. And it was in those years of my realm of rebellion that God began to work with me. And Frank, I got up my little, there was one night, it, the Lord began to work on me, and I got in that little footlocker and got out my Gideon New Testament, read Psalms and all the way through the New Testament. When I hit Luke 15, I had to linger on that, and it finally dawned on me. I finally came to myself. I had one of those glorious moments where Jesus just broke through all the junk and said, Spark, you know what you're doing is okay if you're a pig but I didn't design you to be a pig because my life, my thinking, was not geared toward the Lordship of Jesus Christ in, in, at that particular time. And I read that New Testament to the light of the outdoor floodlights, and I never will forget, I, I had double vision in the morning because it was hard to read that little New Testament anyway from indoors to the floodlight, and I can remember just seeing double vision the rest of the day, but for the first time in a long time, I could see straight. And I thank God that he met me in that pig pen. Well, you're here this, this evening and you, maybe you've come to a spiritual famine and, uh, you know, maybe it's that time where, where you come to realize in your lifestyle something's missing. You don't know what it's like, but you're living like the world. You, you're having... You're having an experience that the world feels is the best experience possible. You just got that Vegas experience. Man, this is great. But there's something empty because God has, has created all of us with a void in our hearts that can only be filled with Jesus Christ. And so we come to that realization, I pray, that in that realm of rebellion that we realize these things that I'm doing that the world applauds and they endorse are okay if I'm a pig. But I'm not a pig. God's created me in his own image to have fellowship with him. And the only way that I'm ever going to be completely, fully satisfied or happy is to know Jesus and to know him intimately and personally and walk with him. And some of us learn that later in life. Some of us learn it younger in life. Some of us stray in between and become that prodigal. Unfortunately, some people never learn it. Some people go to their deathbed thinking there's something left that I've not 
accomplished because I have an emptiness. I don't know what it is, they might say, but I know it's there. Well, here we are. So he says, when he came to his senses, have you gotten to that place where you've come to your senses? How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? When we come to our senses, we begin thinking about the father and his provision. As a prodigal, we've known the father. We've strayed away from him. Maybe you've got children that are prodigals. Maybe you're there yourself. Maybe you've got relatives or friends that are in that prodigal journey. And you're just praying, Lord, let them come to their senses. Let them come to themselves. Let them see themselves for the way they really are. And maybe you're there. Well, it says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired hands? You begin to think, you know, when I was walking with the Lord, things went along a lot better. I didn't, it, it wasn't always a smooth road. It was sometimes rocky and, and there were, there were crises and things that came and challenges that I had to confront. But the Lord was always with me and He always helped me through these times. Now here I am out trying to do it myself. He came to Himself. He came to His senses. And He says, I'm, I am going back to the Father. And I'm going to tell Him, I'm no longer worthy of being your Son because I have sinned against heaven and against you. Make me like one of your hired men. You know what repentance is? It literally is a change of mind. But it's a change of mind that leads to a change of direction. And that change of direction is conversion. You cannot have conversion without repentance. You can't have true repentance without conversion. The Bible says that godly sorrow works or precedes repentance. There's a lot of people that are sorry for what they've done. I mean, prisons and jails are full of them. But they're not repentant. What they are is they're sorry they were caught for what they've done. And you can be sorry for your sins. You can have sorrow all you want to. But until you literally do what this prodigal did, and look what it says. So he got up and went to his father. There was absolute proof that it was true repentance because he acted on it. He got up and went to his father. Now, a lot of people are sorry. They're sorry for the things they've done. They're sorry for the results that it's caused. They're sorry for, for years of, of regret or remorse. But they've not gotten up and gone to the Father and done something about it. So there's been no true repentance. There's just been sorrow for their actions. Well, we turn the page and then we see, but while he was still a long way off. Can you picture this? There on the porch of that house, down, down that long dirt road. Some of you probably had houses or relatives that owned houses that were down long farm roads. My grandfather lived on a farm that was down a long dirt road. And I could just picture this father, much like the fathers after World War II, pacing the doorsteps, pacing the porch, looking out over the horizon, waiting to see a little bit of dust stirring to see perhaps maybe there's going to be an individual coming down that road and maybe, maybe it'll just be my son. 
And the Bible says the Father saw him a long way off. He sees you and I a long way off. And he didn't wait for the Son to come to him. He ran. He was filled with compassion on his Son. He ran to his Son. Now in those days, older men didn't run in public because it was considered undignified. In fact, Aristotle said great men never run in public. But he didn't care. And I'm sure the servants ran with him because he announced to the servants, this is what we're going to do. He was filled with compassion for him, ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Well, you know what? Homecoming always depends on the type of father who meets you. You know? Some of you may have had fathers that that homecomings were not very pleasant. You never looked forward to it. But here's a, a father that loved his son. And of course the spotlight is no longer on the two sons. Now it is turned to the father. Because this is really a parable not about the prodigal son, but about the grace and the love of our Lord Jesus Christ and our heavenly father. There he is running out and, and meeting him. And he says to his servants, before the son, but, but the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your sons. And he never got out the last part of that rehearsed where he says, make me like one of your hired men. He never got to that point. Father, I have sinned against you, against heaven. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. His father said to his servants, quick, right now, run, get it. Bring the best robe. Where would the best robe be? That would be the father's robe. Take my robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, signifying his his filial bondship there to the family, his authority, his ability to make transaction on behalf of the family. Put my ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. By the way, he was a slave. Slaves don't wear sandals. They go barefooted. Put sandals on his feet. He no longer needs to be seen as a slave. For he says, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Uh, Let's have a feast and celebrate. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Psalms 103 verses 10 through 13 says, He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as east is from west, So far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. So he says, For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Let's have a feast and celebrate, the father said. We said, C.S. Lewis said, The serious business of heaven is joy, is celebration. That's the serious business of heaven. This son of mine was lost and is found. He didn't find the father. The father found him. The father wasn't lost. He found the son. And here's the thing that you need to see is that 
when the son decided finally, willfully, to come back to the father, the father ran out to meet him. God takes the initiative to meet us when we make that decision to return to him. I tell you what, one of the most frustrating things I can tell you and any pastor here can can verify is the fact that when God created us in his own image, he gave us a freedom of choice. Adam had this freedom of choice. God says you can eat from anything, you can participate in anything except for that one tree. Don't touch it. Why? So that man would have being created in the will of God, that freedom of choice. And one of the most uh, wonderful or discouraging things is to watch people either willingly choose to follow Jesus or willingly choose to enter into that realm of rebellion. But it's your choice. Even in Revelation 3.20 when we see Jesus standing at the door knocking, I like that that famous picture, that painting of Jesus doing that when you see it in every Bible study classroom anywhere. And you'll always notice that there's no doorknob on the outside of that door. Jesus doesn't force his way into your heart or into mine. He offers himself to us. But when we make that decision that we're going to return to him, he meets us running, throws his arms around us, and says, welcome home. Welcome home. Well, so they began to celebrate. Let's have a feast and celebrate. I think our greatest celebration around here ought to be when people come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior or when people return to the Lord. There ought to be a time of celebration, folks, because the Lord is celebrating. This is His parable, not mine. We could behave like a pig and be happy wallowing in the mud or we can get up and return to the Father. Father, I've sinned against you. When the world starts looking better than the kingdom of heaven, we know that we have entered the pigsty. You're here tonight. Maybe you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Maybe you've had that attitude where at one time you said, Father, give me, talking about your inheritance then you have to come to your senses where you say, Father, make me. Make me, Lord. I'm not asking anything of you. Just make me one in accordance with your will. Maybe this is you tonight. This is an opportunity for spiritual uh, rededication. This is an opportunity if you've never trusted Jesus Christ or you're not sure. This is an opportunity to come forward and pray with the pastor. You come. And maybe you're looking for a church home. I don't know of any greater church to be a member of than Trinity Baptist Church. You're looking for a church home. We've got a place for you to serve. But for all of us, it is a time of of rededication, renewal. Either here at the altar, praying with the pastor, or where you are. It's a time for renewal. So what's your perspective? Is it the pig? or the penitent son. Let's pray. Our most gracious Father, we just praise you for who you are, and we thank you so much for this day. Be with us now. May we honor and glorify you, Lord. There are decisions being made even now. Lord Jesus, forgive us. Forgive us for straying. Forgive us for going into that realm of rebellion. 
Forgive us for that far country that we think looks so much greener than where we are now. And yet, Lord, when we get there, we realize it was so much better in your presence. Father, thank you. Thank you for your provision, for your power. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for pursuing us. Be with us now, Lord. These decisions are yours. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing the hymn of invitation. The pastor will be here to pray with you about your decisions. Won't you come?